Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Amplify. I'm your host, Sam Mishu. Today's episode is on career disillusionment, another powerful discussion with Dr. Rob Orman. Before we get to that, as always, I want to remind you that ebmedicine.net is your one-stop shop for emergency medicine and pediatric emergency medicine and urgent care medicine, CME. Every month, an article from each category is published with four hours of CME, with lots of points and pearls, with risk management pitfalls, with a clinical pathway, and it's all available to you at ebmedicine.net and in the mobile app so much at your fingertips. Don't forget, go to the website, sign up for all three of them and get more CME than you can ever possibly need. And now on to Rob. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back once again with world famous emergency physician turned personal coach for emergency physicians. Dr. Rob Orman, MD himself, back again today to talk to us about career disillusionment. And I brought this up with him specifically because many of us, I think, in emergency medicine and certainly many of my partners, and and I'm not immune to this myself, I've had this thought several times, especially since COVID, uh, struggling really about when to make the decision to leave a career or leave a position, um, mm. perhaps becoming disillusioned with what I thought the career was going to be and instead what it is. Now, sometimes some of us will look at that and think, oh, this is an opportunity to improve our surroundings. Others will concede that this is as good as it's going to get and that's okay. And And I think then there's a third group who's going to leave and search for something that's closer to what they initially thought they were getting into. And the question is, why do we stay in the job we're in? How do we combat disillusionment or or should we even combat the disillusionment? And when talking to a frustrated physician, what's your approach? How do you bring together their ideal view of what their job was going to be with the reality of what it is now? Where do they go from here? There's a lot in there. There is. I, I want to share a secret with you that you and I have known each other a long time now. It has been and a I, number of years. I, I don't, and I don't know if I've ever told you this. I don't think that I was well suited for emergency medicine. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was saying, actually, as you're saying that, I, I didn't intend on talking about that, but as you were talking about it, I was thinking, yeah, I was... Had I done a personality inventory and really, really understood what it took? I mean, I loved it and I had to figure out how to navigate it and just develop tools and strategies and all these things to deal with the fact that I, I don't think I, that I was actually very well suited for it because I'm, a, I'm not a great parallel processor, great linear processor. And so being task saturated or dealing with overwhelm or working when it's really busy, like having to do a whole bunch of things all at once, just, I I found so hard to deal Mm. with. Like that, you know, that time when you are two or three hours in your shift and everything comes back at once. (laughs) Okay. So you start out your shift and you're fresh, you're fresh as a daisy, you are Hercules or Athena or you, whatever, (laughs) you are just jamming. And then you get everything going and you put everything to orbit and everything wants to come in for landing 
all at once, every mm-hmm. lab, every consult, every disposition, and then you get your new ambulances coming in. That point for me, it happens at the beginning of the shift and it happens at the end of the shift was so hard. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm spinning my wheels. And the other thing was going into resuscitation. I'd get into resuscitation, linear process, right? Boom, just focus on this thing. And then I'd come out and I'd have 10 patients. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, whoa, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> Too much. And I think actually, had I gone back and done it all, and if this were an option, I would have done EM, which I loved. I, I'd loved my you know, 20 years at EM, even though there was, I had a bunch of burnouts and some disillusionment, as we'll talk about. I probably would have done ED critical care. Gosh, as, you know, that's interesting to hear you say that. I love critical care. I really do. And, and I thought about that as a fellowship myself. I thoroughly enjoy the, you know, I'm going to spend hours at the bedside by this super sick human being and not have to be distracted by the ankle sprain and the runny nose and the child with the fever and the person with the chest pain and the abdominal pain and all the other stuff that's still waiting. <laughs> yeah. 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 I yeah, totally it's get that. It's hard. That's what docs love. They love doing those in for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part, those life saves, critical patients. And I actually, I want to tell you, a, this is not spoken outside of the coaching world. You know who are the busiest coaches right now? in medicine, like physician coaches. So I work with docs to help them stay in medicine, right? That's it. So you want to stay in medicine, I'm your guy. We will do what it takes to bring that joy back. Okay. The busiest coaches by far are career change coaches. Wow. Docs looking to get out. So this disillusionment thing, it's not just you and the 10 people you've talked to in the past couple of months. The data, or at least the qualitative data is that, yeah, people not only are just saying, oh, do I leave? Oh, they're getting out. Mm-hmm. This is a real thing is questioning whether you're doing the right thing. Why are you doing this thing? How'd you get, it? should I even stay in? Yeah. You know, there's this sort of an old tale about the frog in boiling water. I heard yeah. this yeah. probably a decade ago and I thought it was kind of ridiculous, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, I guess that could apply to just about any scenario you were in, but it seemed to become more applicable to this Uh, Mm. And it goes that you put a a frog in water and you start to boil the water. And as the heat gradually rises, the frog is just adjusting and there's no sudden change. And then you could boil the frog to death in, in gradually increasing that temperature. But if you take a frog and throw it into a pot of boiling water immediately, it'll just jump right out. And it's instantaneously recognized as, oh, this is life threatening. And I wonder if that is a metaphor for what some people feel when they think about, especially post-COVID, if they're working in a center where the acuity has changed, the staff is insufficient, everyone's understaffed, we have less of everything, there are multiple medication shortages, there are new laws and regulations, there are decreasing specialists to refer to, there are problems finding coverage, there are partners leaving the specialty, et cetera, et cetera. So many things change. At what point is this water boiling and do I need to just get out? And can I even recognize it anymore because it's been boiling for so long or the temperature's just been increasing for so long? Do I even know when is time to jump out of this thing. Oh my gosh. I love that. You know, that metaphor as you're talking about COVID is just so on point. So the water was hot. People were burnt out. 
but then it got turned up really fast. Right? Yeah. It was just all of a sudden like, whoa, my gosh, it's hot. And so it wasn't a gradual thing. And now people are really looking, really doing some self-reflection on what is up. What is up mm. with my career with how I'm feeling? Because I'm not feeling so good. And let's back that up. Let's take the frog out of the water in the first place and just, you know, it's like in a lily pad pond and hopping around with all the frog buddies and snapping flies. It's all, it's all good. So if you turn it back when you really enjoy doing something, like none of us went into emergency medicine thinking, I'm ready for the burnout. Here we go. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> went in that like, oh yeah, this really resonates with me. I, I just really dig it. And there's not a there's not a formula for why that happens. You know, the why. Why do you love th- why do you love this thing? Like there's things about it that, that you love, but even dissecting that, you just do love it. And there's this kind of fallacy of the why when it comes to work, right? We we find something that we enjoy doing, and then we backfill all the reasons that we enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's kind of like falling in love. Right? You just have an attraction to a person, you resonate with them, and then you backfill in all the reasons why. Right? I guess like a dating website, there's like out al- there's algorithms, like career finding algorithms that look up yeah. your propensities and proclivities and personality. And yeah, you know, okay, the, these careers might might work for you and something cool might come out of it, but you can never really know until you dig deeply. And then there's things about a particular career or place that either do or don't resonate with you. And when they don't, you get disillusioned. And there's different reasons for different people, right? We have different recipes for why we might feel that way. And I think if we look at the big picture of it, there's a discordance between expectation and reality. I think it comes down to that, the discordance between expectation and reality. And you say, I've had enough, or I'm sick of this, or I spent all these years of hard work for this. Like this is, this is the gold ring. Are you kidding me? And you were mentioning COVID a little while ago, but go back 10 years. So 2012, This was a really big year for understanding this stuff. There was a study, this was Archives of Internal Medicine. And I think it deserves a mention here. So this was the big burnout study, burnout and satisfaction with work-life balance among US physicians. And have you heard this statistic of 60% of ER docs are burnout? Have you ever heard this? Okay. That's where this comes from. But just throwing that out there does disservice to what that study tells us. So this was tens of thousands of docs. And when people measure burnout, there's a burnout inventory that's many, many, many questions. But I found that just asking a couple of questions was just as valid. And if you're going to survey thousands, thousands of people, especially docs, if, if you can give them two or three questions rather than 20, they're more likely to answer it. So Way better. So for the burnout, it focused on emotional exhaustion and depersonalization. So the statements were, I feel burnt out for my work. So there's one. Or I have become more callous toward people since I took this job. Mm. So those are the two burnout questions. And 
if you say yes to one of those, then okay, you're put in the yes, feeling some burnout. And so that's how you get that 60%. It's actually more. It's actually for ER docs, it was a little higher than that. The thing about that is that this was a snapshot. That we're not talking over the course of your career. Have you ever felt this for a moment? This was just let's just see how you're doing right now or in this, mm. this recent period. And you can imagine over the course of a career, it's going to be even higher. You're going to be getting very close to the bottom of that asymptotic curve. And so for the ER docs, they actually don't give the exact number in the study, but it's a graph. And it looks like it's around 65%, just a snapshot of having some burnout. And I bring this up. This one, because you're talking about the frog and the boiling water, that was a decade before COVID, a mm. decade. And on this graph, M had by far the highest percentage. The next closest horse was lengths and lengths away. So internal medicine was next, and they were maybe like around 50%. And then you go to things like PM and R and dermatology, they're in the low 30s. It's funny, I had a cousin who was a dermatologist and he burnt out. I was like, why are you burnt out, man? And he said, because I'm bored, baby. Because I'm <laughs> bored. <laughs> so you're starting off in a field. And I'm saying burnout, but I think disillusionment is part of the thing. I think they're part and partial. When you feel yeah. these ways, you've lost that love and feeling. And it's just gradations of it. But I, I'm kind of equating these two things with you're starting out in a specialty that already has a high likelihood of burnout or disillusionment. And the other half of the study that doesn't get talked about is life balance, or like some, some people call it work-life balance. And the snapshot, about half of ER docs, this is pre-COVID, this is before everything started getting thinner and there's more friction, about half of ER docs felt they had it. And think, oh, okay, well, that's not so bad. But then you think, well, why did people go into emergency medicine in the first place? And often it's for that specific reason, because right. I will be able to have life balance. I'll be able to work my shifts. I'll be able to do my things. I'll make furniture. I'll go water skiing, spend time with my family. That was just like half of them in that snapshot. And we haven't talked about the why, but I think that data is really telling. It sure is. It's a little scary to think that that many people were experiencing those symptoms 10 years before COVID as a specialty. The longevity of the specialty doesn't seem very good if most of the people in it experience burnout and those going into it haven't appropriately sat and taken that survey to see if they're well-fitted for the job. That's, uh, that's terrible. So this is something to understand before you get into the field. Personally, I was feeling burnout when I was a resident, you know, mm -hmm. look, looking back and I've got stories to tell about it, but it started then and just identifying these things early and also like understanding that this is a reality of the field and it's not a personal failing. You know, you think about all of the people, all of the people who get to this point and the funnel that you had to go through, mm -hmm. or I don't know, it was a, pyramid or a funnel. I guess it depends on how you, how you want to look at it. <laughs> if it's flowing and, up or down, you mean? <laughs> it's flowing up or down, exactly. And to get to this point, 
you really had to put your head down and just grind it out and grit it out. You know, residency is hard. Med school's hard. College, some, hard, there's hard aspects to it, but it gets harder and harder and harder. And we think, okay, I'm just going to put my head down and I'm going to go for it. And even now, when all of this stuff is being talked about more and more, there's not really strategies taught about, okay, how do I set myself up for a long and happy career or something that will be joyous? It's put your head down, grind, 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 and then find a job. And then you get in that job and that mindset doesn't change. And so you know, going back and considering, all right, well, what are strategies that I need to build resilience? Where's the place I'm really going to thrive? And that changes over time. You might really thrive in one job at one point in your career, and then it, you're not thriving in it later, and another job is going to suit you better or a different aspect of that job. Yeah, certainly it can change. And that part, I think, also speaks to how people's response to this disillusionment can be different. So if you're having it early in your career, you've got the opportunity to maybe make a change or talk to someone about improving your work-life balance or trying to dissect the problem and find the solution, or maybe just leave that job and find somewhere else to work. If you're midway through your career, maybe the options don't look as good. Some people even leave emergency medicine and consider a career in another specialty, go back to residency. And that seems almost impossible to do, I think, if you've been out of residency for any length of time. And then there are those people who are 10 or more years into their career already thinking, I just need to sit down with a calculator and a financial planner and figure out how much longer I have to do this so I can just get out. And as I'm having these conversations with people, I don't have a good sense for how to help them in their journey to identify, okay, where are you on this spectrum? And What's the best next step for you in this sort of scenario? How often do you encounter that? 99.99999% of the time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some people come to coaching because they have a very specific thing they want to work on. Maybe they're a new CMO and they want to work on leadership or they're doing academic advancement or they're changing jobs. But a lot of the time it is just, I'm feeling burnt. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling out of whack and balance or stuck and just tangled up or angry or whatever, but I want to stay in medicine. Mm -hmm. And so usually there is some sort of a stress point where someone will say, okay, I want to work with somebody to get myself unstuck from this point. So short answer and long answer are giving the same answer, which is a lot. Yeah. Do you think it's helpful to have a friend's or former coworkers who have gone on to jobs elsewhere and even do a little comparison. I mean, you know, sometimes I will have a conversation with somebody who works somewhere else and I'll say, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. And they go, oh, you don't realize how good you have it because at my shop, it's <laughs> this and this and this, you know, uh, in our emergency department, our psychiatric holds are there for months at a time. And in your shop, it's only days at a time, you know? Yeah. So it's so much better. You don't even realize it. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's just a little bit of a reality check about what actually is across the way in that other pasture helps kind of maybe take away a little bit of the disillusionment and help you appreciate your own surroundings a little bit more. But I don't really know that that's enough. Oh, I'm with you on every aspect of that, Sam. It's so poignant 
because yeah, we always see that the grass is greener, uh, the ER down the street. Oh, these guys all seem so happy. Yeah, I don't know the half of it, kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So That's right. If they're happy, uh, the, why are they hiring? <laughs> you know, you bring up a great point, which is the advice trap. And I didn't make up that term, but it's that we're all full of advice, but it's probably bad advice. Mm. And when someone comes to us with a problem like this, say, oh, I'm feeling this way. And then the answer is often the, or the inclination is, oh, you should do this. And if it's develop a strategy to work through this, great. But you know, if it's take this action, well, maybe, maybe that's great advice, but usually our advice isn't so great because we're not that person. We're just talking about what works for us from our own perspective. And maybe we can offer a perspective, but we don't have the same upbringing, the same background, the same wishes, the same imbalances, the same home situation, et cetera, et cetera, as that person. So when you're doing that comparator, I see potential pitfalls because, well, you know what? Maybe there are things about that ED where psych patients are waiting for months to get a bed. <laughs> well, that, that would really be bad. But that actually resonates with that doc that, oh, I love working here. Oh, that thing, that doesn't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that the cautionary tale has some weight to it. But I think that really pushing advice and pushing your own sensibilities and values is fraught. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow... I'm sitting down with one of my partners who comes to me and goes, look, I just, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. and we start with where, like, do we start with how can I make it better for you? Do I just try to sit there and go, yes, I agree. This is exceptionally difficult and it has been more difficult. It is getting more difficult. Let's talk about ways to make it better for you or is it is the appropriate thing? Yeah, let's talk about places where you can go, <laughs> other jobs you might consider. It's so hard to figure out, you know, what I don't I don't even know what solace to offer someone in that scenario anymore because I don't know what's going to help them. In some portions of my career, I have had a conversation where where it has gone, I just need to get out. I don't think emergency medicine was the right choice. And then it was I don't think I can sustain this very season, but it's coming to an end. I can see, I know when it's going to end. So I just need to make it through this season. And it's really difficult for me to try and offer any kind of advice to someone. What, like, where do you even start? How do you, how do you begin to assess? Is it the season? Is it their career? Is it their work-life balance? Is it, is, there are so mm. many things that it seems like we could, we could discuss when someone is disillusioned with their career. How do you know where to start? It's a great question. Well, the first step I think from that, as I'm listening to you say it, is who are you in this conversation? Are you a friend? Are you a director? Are you a coach? Are you a mentor? And that makes a difference. What role they're wanting you to play, mm -hmm. what role you're playing. And yeah, we talk with our colleagues all the time about this. Ah, oh, this is that, this is that, and the other thing. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah, it's our pressure release valve. So let me ask you in, the, in this situation, who are you? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think most of the time now, 
I'm definitely not their employer or their boss or their director when I'm having yeah. this conversation. I'm yeah. a coworker, maybe a mentor, as someone who's just been around longer than they have, but certainly not someone in any kind of administrative role or employer, employer role or supervisor. And I'm just okay. trying to offer some advice, something that might actually be helpful, something other than just a, uh, a passing phrase or a cliche or something. Okay. Let me just walk you through a, a framework or two that can be helpful. And this is, I mean, this is very coachy. This is like the perspective I'm coming from. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking about the advice trap, but here I am about to give you advice <laughs> how to do this, but it's professional advice. Here we go. So something like this, let's say I have a client who's coming with these issues. There's a whole survey, which is basically journaling so that the person can reflect on different aspects of what's going on. So if you're talking to them, the first thing is, tell me about it. Tell me what's going on. Just to get the lay of the land and let them vent, let them get it out there and see what's happening. We're very quick to have early closure on these things, but listening and questioning. Now, tell me more. Here's a great cooking question. Like, all right, well, what's, what's going on that's uh, you're disillusioned with, you're dissatisfied? This, 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 this. What else? This, 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 this. What else? Nothing else. Okay. Well, think deep. Anything else that might be in there? And you're just like, just pulling it out. You're just listening. And that what else is a, you know, is a, is a great question to just make the space for them to be able to talk about it. Because one thing that docs don't get enough of is space to hear themselves. Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're working hard, you're the family, it's just, and it all just gets kind of tied up in your head. And just that one exercise of having someone listen, but listen non-judgmentally. What else, what else, what else? Okay, great. Sometimes that can be enough. So if I was talking to somebody about this or in your situation, if you wanted to get really structured about it, we both know Dyke Drummond, he's, he taught me about this. What is it about this job that's dissatisfying? All these things, all these things. Okay. Well, what does your ideal job look like? And just, and get granular here. Pace, pay, location, patient mix, consultant availability, academic or community, like every, get as granular as humanly possible. Culture, availability of diagnostic imaging. I don't know. It's like, it, how many ultrasounds in the department? So get as specific as possible about what does your ideal job look like and how much overlap is there in that Venn diagram? And the move or the step is what is one thing you can do, just one thing to increase that overlap. Now, that might be decreasing your number of shifts if that's possible. That might be developing a sign-out culture in your emergency department. That might be improving your documentation efficiency. There's a, I mean, there's myriad things that you can do to increase the overlap of that Venn diagram. Now, it might be that there is nothing more you can do, nothing, and you're just so far away from that ideal job. And so if it's not possible, so okay, well, where is a place? Where is a job where that might be possible? And then you mm -hmm. look into it and then explore. And that might be within emergency medicine. That might be within as an admin. That might be 
then something totally different. But that's just the start, right? That's just a brainstorming exercise about what to do and like what steps could you take. There's a much deeper question here, though, looking at the whole spectrum of your life. But let me pause on that. I don't want I don't want this to just be some, you know, a polemic for this whole podcast. No, now I'm intrigued. What is the deeper question you're referring to? I want to know what that question is. <laughs> okay. The okay. answer is 42. What is the question? <laughs> oh, you know, even at the end of all those books, you never learn the question. I mean, it's, uh, that was, and listeners, that is from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that Sam is showing some beautiful nerdiness. And, oh, and back in the series. day when you could have quotes in the yearbook, I don't know if mm. you guys had this in your high school. You, it was the class before mine in high school was the last one that was allowed to have quotes. And my brother's quote was, who was a couple years ahead of me, the answer is 42, which is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. There you go. We just don't know the question. But a, a guy uh, in the class ahead of me's quote was, life in all is many things, but all I know are little kings. And little kings were these beers that we drank in high school, <laughs> which we could because 3-2 beer was legal back then in Colorado, which we could. All uh. right. So, so a little diversion. Oh, please don't cut that, Sam. That's the best <laughs> part of the damn podcast. I was going to say that. That's so poetic until I realized that he was talking about the beer. <laughs> <laughs> like little kings. Little people, kings. Man. People yeah, looking for their little power and their little... And their little circle of, of power around them. <laughs> yeah, it's not, no, it's just beer. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> just beer. Back when at 18, you could actually buy your beer. Oh, I'm showing my age. Yes, you are. It is kind yes, of, it's, it's getting a little gray there. <laughs> so, all right. So the bigger picture, the bigger picture is your life. It's not just work. Mm -hmm. So what's going on? everything. Because if it's just work, all right, well, there we go. Venn diagram, blah, blah, blah. But have you ever heard of this book or this kind of process called designing your life? No. Yeah. It's, I, and I'll tell you, I was skeptical because anytime something is called something like that, I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to be lame and probably untrue, <laughs> <laughs> but it is incredibly potent. So these two guys, these two designers, like engineers slash designers thought, oh, we can help people figure out life direction using design and engineering th thinking. Why not? And remember before I was talking about, you know, well, you can't algorithmically do this. There's no formula. Well, there is no formula to this, but they kind of broke it down into different domains of work. So work is what you do professionally, but it's anything really that you, when people ask you what you do, that's mm -hmm. work. And it could be volunteer. It could be in the home. It could be a work. It could be what you get paid for. You don't have to get paid for it. It's all these work things. So that's one. And then health, that is your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health. There's another. And there is play. So what are the things you do just for the love of doing it? So, you know, karate in your case, right? I mean, you do get, you do get some health out of it, et cetera. But, you know, yeah. I talked to you about it and you just, you love it. I mean, Martial you sent me these pictures of breaking boards with the black belt and all this. Oh, Sam, you're so joyous. So <laughs> there's play. And then there's love. The love you give, the love you receive. Your nuclear family, your community, 
And you just put all these out there, make a line for each one of these, and how are you doing in each one? Empty to full. And generally, there's a little imbalance somewhere. Oftentimes for docs, especially now, work is is usually it, you can't go to eleven. You can't go outside of the gauge. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's all the way to the right of the gauge, or some put it all the way to the left because they're just so ready to be done. Hmm. Health oftentimes gets neglected, and physical. You know, I'm not exercising as much as I want, or I'm not doing whatever spiritual practice I have, or something, or mental health. That often suffers. And play, almost always, that is low. Just what are the things that you do for you that are joyous? Yeah. And you know, love, love is an interesting one because it gets a real varied answer. And you know, some's like, oh, I am totally committed to my family and this, but a lot of docs, that's low because they're working so hard. They feel like they don't have time to do the things that they want to do with their family. And, or their community, you know, it's like, I've lost touch with friends and have you ever heard of the, I think it's called the George study. No, it, it was this longitudinal study. I mean, it was years and years and years like, like over lifetimes. I think JFK was one of the people who wow. was, I, <laughs> incidentally, one of the, I think this started when people were students and they looked at people, you know, what determines basically happiness. And I'm not sure all of the different things that they looked at. And the things that really led to a fulfilling life and a quality life, it was the relationships, the meaningful relationships that you have in your life. So that's really important to continue to pay attention to and to nurture. I'm going off on a little bit of a sidetrack. So let me, let me, let me come back to just look at that. Look at that gauge and there's no formula to it. It's just how do you feel about these different things and where are you over or underextended? And then, okay. What is one thing to change on one gauge to start bringing that back into balance? Now, we talked about work before. That's just one. That's, that gets a lot of attention because yeah. it's scheduled, you're paid for it, the expectation. But the other things, love, health, play, there's nobody automatically scheduling that. No one's really keeping you accountable for that. And those yeah. things can fall by the wayside. So there's work, there's ideal job versus current job. Okay. But there's also the overall picture of your life. And what does it look like now? You are here on the map. What would you like it to look like? And what's one step that you can take to make that change? No, that's a great suggestion. As you're speaking, I'm thinking about all the different times in my life where I thought, you know, the, the work part of it was out of balance but all of them have coincided with other things, having each of the children, newborns in the house, not getting enough sleep, et cetera. All of those things ended up affecting work, but weren't related necessarily to work. The work felt exceptionally difficult. It was very, very difficult at the time, but recognizing that it was difficult because of these extra things or other things going on in my life helped to understand that, okay, this is just a tunnel. This is a very specific time frame I need to get through with some help. But once I'm past it, work will improve because it's primarily a response to what's going on elsewhere. So I like that reflection of 
here are the different categories of your life right now and where are they in relation to just, I hate my job. Uh, and, <laughs> right, uh, and, right. and do you hate everything else going on in your life as well? Or is everything else just crystal perfect? And, and then it's just the work issue because if it's just the work issue, then there's a solution for that. And sometimes I think the solution differs. Some people seem empowered at that moment to change something in their work environment. And some people just want to ditch it and leave and get out and don't want to invest any more energy into trying to make a positive change there. I guess that's a very personal choice and it depends on where you are at the moment. I'm not sure how to discover who who has it and who does it in them to try and change their work environment. That's that's an exceptionally hard thing to do. Yeah. Well, you, you said something there that kind of struck a chord that I'd like to dig into a little bit more about the about problems and solutions. And one thing that we tend to get mired in, stuck in, are gravity problems. So gravity is not a problem. It's it's not solvable. <laughs> It's a, situ <laughs> it's a situation, right? Yeah. A gravity problem is something that is not actionable. And we fight reality. We just, we scream at the moon. We just, just like, yeah, it's just, you're not going to win. Reality is always going to win. So there, there's a couple types of gravity problems. There's totally inactionable, like gravity or that, or the presence of COVID or the collective mindset of the unvaccinated, that is unactionable for you. Or functionally inactionable. So functionally would be the volume of patients in your emergency department. I mean, there's, it's actionable, but it, that's gonna be, that's a, that's a stretch. That's gonna be a big, big project. So you don't wanna get stuck in something that you can't solve. Like tilting at windmills, might be a moral victory, but it really doesn't doesn't give you that much. I was I was reading a book where there was this big battle and went poorly, and this, these one people didn't do well. And somebody says, "Well, we won the moral victory," and the, the captain says, "Oh, do you know what you call the person who wins the moral victory? The loser." And so, <laughs> so when you accept that something is a gravity problem, okay. Move on. What is actionable? That's a great point. I have had that conversation. It reminds me of a conversation with one of my hospitalist colleagues who each time we talk about a elderly person with multiple terminal diseases who were resuscitating or taking what seemed to be extraordinary measures for, her first question is always, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this yet again? And my answer to her is always, hey, this is the culture we're living in. And we're not going to change this tonight or with this patient. So that, that reminds me of that, that gravity problem. You know, we, we had a discussion about end of life issues. The person wants everything done and you and I aren't going to change that today. We're not changing the entire culture of the country we live in. So just take a deep breath, go take a walk, go unplug and come back. And then we'll talk about where we're going to admit this patient to and what specialist we need to call. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you, but your hospitalists, I think we might be a, a little bit off the main road of disillusionment, but I think we're hitting some of the core aspects. So your hospitalist brings up a really important point of moral injury. Mm. And when we're talking about 
why people feel disillusioned with their job. And you and I know emergency medicine, so I'm going to I'm going to keep it in that realm, but these things are fairly universal across specialties. You've got clients who are mostly emergency docs, but some who are subspecialists in other areas. It's the same stuff. <laughs> it's the yeah. same things. People are the same. So there's a so there's a lot of things that can lead to it. And I want to and I want to conclude with moral injury, but just for listeners, just know that these things are not easy to deal with. And you can identify, I would imagine, some of this within your life leading to disillusionment. And one of them, which we were talking about in the beginning, is friction. Friction. You know, friction in the system and friction between docs. You can't get a patient admitted. You can't get follow-up. Trying to transfer a patient, either the hospital's full or the doc on the other end's giving you grief about your management. Pretty much everything about mental health, friction is everywhere you look. And it's frustrating because there's just more friction now. And trying to develop things to put in place to make them frictionless, yeah, that's a great strategy, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. And so there's one. Recharging. This is a hard job. It's just physically hard. You know, on a good day, back when we were residents and we were all full energy and all this, it was hard. Even back then, it's just a hard job. It's physically and mentally hard and you got to recharge, but many don't. It's just, I can push through it. I can grind through it. Nope. You got to recharge. We are, uh, you're, you're playing Mortal Kombat when you're a kid. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. A kid, shoot, like five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, that the health bar over top of your, of your avatar. Yeah. Yeah. That's just taking hits throughout your entire day. Maybe you could pick up a health packet, like. You know, drink some water or get some food or walk outside and get a breath, but you're going to be low and it just takes time to recharge. So there's recharging, there's friction, collegiality, just it, that's a, a little bit more friction in those relationships. You know, there can be dismissiveness, rudeness, lack of kindness. We just make things harder for each other. For the, uh, for the most part, I think docs are really good to each other, but it just takes a handful to make it so mm. <laughs> hard. So true. The computer. I, enough said. <laughs> yeah. I don't even sure. need to describe it. Okay. So, so you know, you've got overwhelm, too much on my plate, long work hours, the disruption of night shifts, stress at home, which can be caused by all these other things. And there's this vicious cycle and then more stress at home and then burnout. But when you were talking about that hospitalist, that is moral injury. It's a term that we hear, but it's where you repeatedly see, and for us, a part of the system where people are treated worse than they deserve, where you are working contrary to your values. Right? That hospital mm. is saying, why do we do this? That is contrary to why he went into medicine and his values. That's contrary to yours, surely too, but it's like, oh, here's our system. Yeah, med mental health patients, you're talking about them being in the ED for months. That's a perfect example. Not, so not that you treat them poorly interpersonally, but you know they stay in the ED for days and days and days and days just lying there. And there's myriad examples of this, some small, some big, but they add up. And all of these things that we do, that we are part of the system that just are contrary to who we are, what we believe is the right thing to do. And here's a 
tiny, silly little thing. Patients demanding antibiotics for a viral respiratory infection, when you know the antibiotic will only harm, will give no benefit, you explain that, but there's this unrelenting push that and sometimes this indignation. What do you do? What do you do? Do you do your best to help them understand, take that time which you don't really have, also realizing that this encounter may affect your patient satisfaction scores, which could impact your continuing employment, or do you just write them the dang prescription and not deal with the hassle knowing it is not the best or even the right medicine? And there's just many instances where you have to decide between two choices, neither of which are good. Mm-hmm. And you repeatedly think or say, like your hospitalist friend did, this is not right. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Wow. Okay, well, that was a lot. Multiple, multiple layers of the onion of career <laughs> disillusionment. But, but such, again, as always, an enlightening conversation. So many aspects to this conversation have to do with things outside the realm of work and many inside the realm of work as a Rubik's Cube puzzle for why it is that we've reached career disillusionment. And hey, I appreciate you taking the time to educate me and give me some tools on how to handle not just career disillusionment in my own life, but conversations with partners and colleagues and people who are experiencing the same. It has been a pleasure, again, to have this conversation. Thank you for that, Sam. There's a couple things in closing. We are just touching the surface of this. Right? If somebody's feeling disillusioned, this is a long process to figure it out. And I, th- I think one thing to realize for docs is most docs, they still love medicine. It's just a process of medicine that they don't love. And why, so why did you go into medicine? Okay, what is it? What is it that drives you? What does being a physician mean to you? What defines good and worthwhile work? Mm-hmm. And what are the pillars of your career? What are the things that describe you as a professional, which is different for everyone? And can you define those? Can you embrace those when you walk into the ED? Are you purpose or mission driven? Because if you're just punching the clock, you and I both know you're on borrowed time and it's not going to last long. If you're purpose and meaning driven, and we're talking about the why, this is what's important to me. This is, I'm a resuscitationist. I'm a public health advocate. I am supporting my family. I am a teacher. I am a student, whatever. I don't know. It's, if you're purpose and meaning driven, it is an infinite source of power. And are you willing to stay in medicine? Or are you done, 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 done? Is it like, ah, I still want to give medicine a try. It's like, that's it. But there's a caveat to that. And sometimes it needs some space. You just got to give yourself some space to breathe. And I work with docs who initially come, they say, I want out. Okay, we we can take a look at that. But then when we dissect it, it's like, oh, I really love medicine. There's this one thing I can change and I did change it. And now I love it. That's not always the case. That doesn't always happen. But even if you're feeling totally disillusioned, if you think, I still love the medicine. It's just the process that I don't love. Well, there are ways to reframe. There are ways to work around that. And sometimes the way is to get out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the way is to change where you are. Sometimes the way is to change within where you are. So there's lots of different options. I love it. Such great insight. RobOrman.com, Orman Physician Coaching. I can't recommend it enough. 
Rob Horman, <laughs> thank you very much for being on the podcast again. Oh, Sam, such a delight. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to many more. Well, that's it, everyone. Another powerful episode with Dr. Rob Orman. I sincerely hope it provides you with a little focus about what irks you about your job and gives you some options. It is a difficult time and know that we are here with you at EB Medicine, walking the path alongside. We've got CME for you. We've got video and audio programs. We've got lots of materials and they're available to you in your pocket in the mobile app whatever makes your journey a little bit easier. We certainly hope we can provide at least that for you. Until next time, I am Sam Eshoo. Be safe, everyone.